0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming. I know you had some other options. But uh, since this is a pep rally, I'm gonna remove my jacket. Oops, I just wrecked my... You're gonna find out I'm a technical idiot. Um, We got a lot of Microsoft people here, I suppose, so you can help me out if I need it. So, uh, Holy Spirit within me. Guide me, moment to moment, word by word, through this. Um, Help it actually be in your perfect will. Um, So, I'm gonna talk about love. And um, just to borrow uh, some lyrics from a song from Andrew Lloyd Webber, love changes everything. Uh, Whether you're in a business, whether you're a kid, Uh, whether you're a Seahawks fan and and really love that Seahawks team, Uh, whether you're a senior pastor coaching a new preacher on his first sermon, and you say to him with the first iteration of the sermon, that dog won't hunt in a nice way. So we have to rewrite it. Uh, I learned a lot in the rewrite. Thank you, Kurt, for speaking the truth in love to me. Uh, Love changes our hearts, um, and each of us uh, has experiences like that. I have had one uh, within myself uh, as I have walked the path with Jubilee Reach, being blessed beyond um, all uh, expectations. Um, I was still really empty after I retired from, uh, from work for profit. But this has filled me to the point of absolute overflowing with the love of Jesus. And joining this East Side movement and being a part of it has just been incredibly full of grace for me. And we are, through God, is working through all of us to change the East Side and eliminate both economic poverty and poverty of spirit, which is just incredible. Uh, So love will change the world and nothing in the world will ever be the same uh, if you, you really get the love of Jesus in your heart. So, this has been a source of great joy for me. But let me talk about um, my passions. Um, there are really, I had two passions as I was growing up. I wanted to become a great leader, and I wanted to help people become as good as they could be, and First we'll talk about leadership. I was born in 1947. Adam already called me an old, old man a couple of times. So, um, but there are older people here. I know one of them, one of them's my friend Lou here. So, <laughs> I was born in 47, two years after World War II. I was inspired with the challenge and the, and the successes and the impact of the great generals of the war. Uh, George Patton being foremost in my mind. He was the commander of the Third Army, led my father, uh, and my father led a squad of riflemen in that army, fought across France until he was taken out of action um, in November of 1944, uh, unable to, to fight anymore. I became passionate about helping people to be the best they could be uh, because of the disrespect I felt as a child and a teenager. You say, well, how does this guy feel disrespect? Well, it's really simple. My family lived in a neighborhood that was a socio and economic class way above ours. We were only able to live there because my father put tremendous sweat equity in a home um, that was a real fixer-upper. We were blue collar, Roman Catholic in a WASP neighborhood. Okay? It's not a good combination. We were looked down upon. I felt disrespect. Here we were Seven children, a grandmother, and two, a mother and a father, living in a home with four bedrooms and one bathroom. That's even worse than the four bedrooms, the one bathroom. So I resolved at an early age to treat everyone with dignity, respect, regardless of their race, color, faith, intellectual level, whatever. And I grew up like a lot of the Seahawks with a chip on my shoulder. So I set my sights on becoming a military leader. However, in my teens, I was diagnosed with a very severe allergy. I would lose consciousness, go into shock, um, and I was unable to serve in the military. And when I was of draft age, I was classified 4F, physically unable and capable of serving. That ended my dream of a military career. So I changed career paths, and I decided to become a history professor, because I love to read history. And I also took three business courses and had extremely, uh, very, very small aptitude for business. And I also found out I have very little interest in it the way it was taught. Business didn't seem to be a good fit, so uh, left alone, I mean, I, I'm probably the least likely person uh, that would be in that class to be a successful CEO, let alone good at it. In 1969, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in history and government, began to look for a position teaching history and then my goal was to earn a master's and a doctorate and become a history professor in college. But a lot of events changed that plan. Um, and despite the fact I'd worked 20 to 40 hours a week while in school, and as many as 112 hours a week uh, during the summer to fund my own education, my parents couldn't afford that, I graduated with student loan debt and didn't want to incur more. So as a backup plan, I submitted my resume to the placement office uh, within my, my university, got three job offers, chose to work for a company called Procter & Gamble as a sales representative, and at the time, Procter & Gamble was considered one of the finest companies in the world and a great training ground. They had great training, great pay, and profit sharing. It's kind of the Microsoft of its day. Well, I worked for Procter & Gamble for six years and received great training in sales. However, as a bonus, I experienced and learned how not to treat and lead people. Incredible pressure was put on our sales force to do things that seemed unethical and would be illegal in a public company to do today. When I asked, why do we do things this way? My uh, manager's answers typically were, your job is not to think about it, your job is to do it the way it's written in the book, don't ask questions. I was really disillusioned. I'm working for one of the best companies in the world. They did things which I thought were totally wrong. And they were terrible leaders by my standard. They treated their employees with very little respect. That would be giving them the benefit of the doubt. And yet, I was resigned. When I resigned, they tried to persuade me to stay and, and continue with the company. They reminded me of the bosses I had at the auto stamping plant factory I worked for in the summer of 1967. It was a terrible work environment. I described it as dirty, dangerous, and disrespectful. I was the lead guy on a job making taillight assemblies for a Ford car. And the leadership and management worked us double shifts, 16 hours a day, seven days a week for eight weeks, eight solid weeks. When you do that, all you can do is work, sleep a little bit, and eat a little bit. But they were were doing that because they had to make enough product to supply the Ford cars that were coming out the new model year that summer. It was also a filthy place with terrible air to breathe. People who were in their 40s would cough, had these tremendously bad coughs. The temperature typically was 100 to 120 degrees inside. Management didn't do any maintenance on the large um, hydraulic press that we were using. which constantly leaked oil, and as a result, would turn out more waste than good parts. That's why we had to work so many hours. Uh, This press, which was huge, about 18 feet high, would come down like a guillotine, and it would close on its own while we were on break. So, the team had to put their heads, their arms, their upper bodies in the jaws of the press to fill up the mold. And uh, I was always worried about one of us was going to be either seriously injured or killed in the process. I told management repeatedly this is a problem. I told them about the waste that we were running because the oil pressure levels were, were so low. They never fixed it. Because my team was the only team that could make good any good parts, management made us work these double shifts. After eight weeks, I was so tired of it. I said to the team, I'm not working the weekend. And they all agreed they weren't working the weekend. Well, management was really under pressure. And they begged us to work, and we said, no. We're not going to work. We're union. So we took the weekend off. Monday morning early, a very high-level Ford executive, all dressed up like a million dollars, walked into the plant, looked at me. He could tell I was the team leader on this job and said to me, why in the expletive can't you make good parts? I said to him, "This has got a maintenance problem. You see that dial up there? If that hits 180 tons of pressure, it'll work. It's now at 80 tons of pressure. It will not fill out the mold. He said, oh, that is expletive. Well, I felt disrespected. I got very angry. I was able to hold my composure, I almost punched him to be honest with you, but I said to him, I told him the truth, I walked away from him, and I've cleaned up this story a lot because we're in church. So I had two learning experiences that taught me how not to lead people. Then God put me in a place where I got firsthand experience seeing how you could lead in a way that treated employees with dignity and respect and I learned the skills to become a CEO. The lessons came from a devout Jew, a great guy. He led us in a way that got everyone to work together in harmony toward common goals, completely aligned, and we grew to love each other in the process. He built this fabulous team. His leadership style established a great culture and we got great results. The company was trashed. We took it over and it became very, very successful. He turned around six companies during his career and in retirement he taught strategic management and execution at Peter Drucker School of Management in Claremont, California. His leadership techniques could be summed up in two sentences. Extreme personal humility and great ambition for the organization, but not himself. The second thing was intense professional will and commitment towards results for the company. Well, Wanda's got a book in her office, I was just in there for a minute, called Good to Great. That's precisely the definition of a level five leader that Jim Collins described in this classic book, Good to Great, but he did it well before Collins wrote the book. Extreme personal humility and intense professional will and commitment. I not only admired his leadership, I knew I could use that model to be a great leader and help people become the best God Made them to be. And I saw my team take on, actually the three teams, take on tremendous challenges, we fixed a broken company, and grew to love and respect each other in the process. Well, if you really look at this leadership model, Jesus, the greatest leader of all time, had these character traits, and of course way more, he was holy, he was perfect. He always stayed in the presence of the Father's glory, he always had moral perfection, he was habitual. His intention was always to do God's will for the Father's glory, and he lived in the fruit of the Spirit. So back to leading business teams, this behavior model of personal humility and professional will was what I aspired to, but I didn't always achieve. These leadership behaviors encouraged people to tell me the truth. I used to go to all our plants and factories and ask them how things were going, what's, what are your problems, what are your barriers? And we would recognize and fix those problems and capitalize on the opportunities we faced. And that promoted trust, community, respect, and a lack of a whole bunch of layers. I used this place, uh, this, this management culture and style uh, three different, at three different companies. At each one, we achieved way more than we dreamed we were capable of because of this culture of deep respect and love for each other, which is the key. So love was the theme. One of the most gratifying moments in my career on the last day I was at Coinstar CEO, uh, when one of my severest critics told me I was a level five leader. This guy would give me all kinds of you know what, all the time about this is wrong, that's wrong, this is the problem. and I had many other gratifying moments, frequently after performance reviews, when people shared with me that I was the toughest but best leader they ever worked with because they learned so much and grew in, so in competence and confidence and at any other time in their career that this was really the highlight. And I didn't focus on the numbers. What was most important to me was the human development scorecard and the culture of the company. I got great satisfaction seeing each member of the team respected, trust, and learning to love and grow and love one another and produce great results together. So, that's the business piece. Now let's go to the part two of this pep rally before we talk about the Seahawks, which we're gonna do. This is the most important part. This is the most thing I'm most excited about, despite the fact that I'm just, my hair is on fire with the Seahawks thing today. And it begins with my retirement from Coinstar. Um, and I believe this is far more important than any business success I ever had with the teams that, we, that, I, that I worked with. Um, and has deepened my faith more than anything in my life. In July of 08, we're waging a very tough proxy fight. I'm sitting at my desk. I heard what I believe was a clear voice of God in my right ear say, Dave, it's time. I knew what that meant. It's time to retire. I was very tired, I'd been repeatedly encouraged by my wife Nancy to get out of this job, it's killing you. Especially while you're still relatively healthy. Well I had brought in my successor, knew he was gonna be a great CEO. And after believing I heard God's call, I walked into his office within moments and said, I know we had a two year plan to succeed me. I've decided I'm gonna retire as soon as possible. Uh, Can you take over like, Tomorrow, if we can get this done that quickly. He said he felt ready and capable. Well, it did take us six months. I discussed my retirement with the chairman that week. He said, we gotta get about five things done. I'm not gonna tell you all about those, but I retired six months later. Now, the critical question was, what do you do in retirement? Do you go over and play golf all the time? No, that's uh, boring. Even though I play golf with this guy, Lou, all the time, on Wednesdays, and we have a great time. That's my day off. So the question is, what do you do with your life? Um, and the first thing I heard from Nancy was, "It was a very wise statement. Don't make any major commitments for at least six months." Good, good thought. Scott Dudley, our pastor, asked me to help him become a better leader. Obviously, Kurt and I were working together, and God kept putting in my mind to offer my help to Brent Christie at Jubilee Reach. Well, I acted on Nancy's advice. I said, Scott, yes, I'll help you become a a leader, better leader. I didn't act on God's call to Brent because of fear. I was afraid of getting involved in Jubilee Reach because of the huge challenges they were facing with the needs of the poor that they served but God kept putting on my mind to go to Brent and ask him if he wanted my help. <clears throat> I didn't act on God's call for at least six months. Then Scott Dudley, our pastor, preached a sermon on answering God's call. He said, you only need to take one step forward to test whether or not it's a true call from God. Well, as the service ended, we're walking out of church, there's Brent, right in my path. And I had said to myself, and, you know, while Scott was preaching the sermon, I'm going to call Brent one of these weeks, you know. Well, I reintroduced myself, didn't really know him very well, and I said to him, I think God might be calling me to help you in some way. He responded very positively. We met the next day. Um, I said, I thought I could help him as a caddy helps a golfer. And he, and he said, what does that mean? I said, well, the caddy per- carries part of the load, the, the bag, <clears throat> caddy advises the golfer on the shot to be played. The golfer, however, has to hit the shot, and the caddy provides constant encouragement because being a leader is a really hard job. So we agreed on my role and began to meet every week for a couple hours and Brent would sit there and talk. He was he's an incredibly gifted leader. Um, mostly I listened to him and I encouraged him. Our relationship grew stronger. Uh, I was then asked to join the board. Then the current chairman who'd been there for four years, wanted to retire, I became vice chair and then chair of the board in April 2010. Now here's where the story gets really interesting. At that time, the city of Bellevue had asked Jubilee Reach to submit a proposal to operate an after-school program in a middle school. Because of the Great Recession and the reduced tax revenue, the after-school programs we're going to be cut out of the city's budget, which was going down about 7.8%. So in the May board meeting, we had a spirited discussion as a board as to whether Jubilee Reach was called to this ministry. Very robust discussion, three issues emerged, which were barriers to accepting the city's call. First, Jubilee Reach didn't have the financial resources. Second, we didn't have the know-how to run programs and particularly sports programs third we had too much to do we had a huge amount of stuff on our plate the staff largely disag- disagreed with uh, doing it and felt there was too much on the plate already and in addition the board felt the kids could go to the y or the boys and girls club and do sports programs well the next 30 days god showed up really really big but typical of god it was always a a little bit late for me, you know, I don't, I don't know about well, you guys, but... So by the next board meeting, we were connected with someone who had the heart and the skills and the passion for coaching kids with biblical principles. We also had a high net worth individual who called... We, we've been trying to cultivate for a couple of years. Called us and said, God, God has in my heart that I should give you $750,000 um, and you're supposed to dream a little bit. I was overcome. I practically go into tears right now thinking about this. Um, Can't even turn the page. The school district and actually the school district told us that contrary to the board's view the kids could not get to the Boys or Girls Club. They didn't have any transportation. And if they were let out of school and didn't have an after-school program, they're going to go to the park next door. They're going to do sex, drugs, and gang activity. So God took every barrier down in 30 days. The board approved the after-school program. It began at Highland Middle School, which was on academic pro- probation and in danger of losing their federal funding and potentially could have been closed because of the results. Well, we staffed Highland with two site coaches, both men of racial and ethnic diversity, and one, a former gang member who came to Jesus in the back of an ambulance after he had a terrible beating because he was trying to leave the the gang in Sacramento. We also had a few volunteers from Highland Covenant Church who had been knocking on the door of the school for years, but had been rebuffed by the administration of the school. So when the program started in September uh, 2010, The second day it was being held, I went to visit Highland and see how things were going. This is what I used to do on my job all the time. I arrived early to an empty auditorium. Then the bell rang. There was this tsunami of middle schoolers rushing out of this door, pushing and shoving each other. It was mayhem. I stood there for a few minutes, observing what I thought was total chaos, said to myself, what are we paying $50,000 a year for to do this? We actually had told the city we wouldn't take their money. Um, I said a silent prayer. I asked God, what is going on here, Lord? And I kind of got an answer like, ask someone. Duh. So I walked up to this guy about my age. It's always most comfortable when you go up to a guy your age. I said, uh, hi, I'm Dave Cole. He said, yeah, I'm Dr. Dave Regal. I said, oh, Dave, what what do you do? I'm a retired pediatrician. He was a Highland volunteer from Highland Covenant Church. And I said, what are you trying to, What are we trying to do here, Dave? He said, we're trying to establish relationships with these kids. Well, that seemed to make sense. Over the next few months, I began to see a real difference in the kids. Their behavior improved significantly. I attended a soccer game in the middle of the season. The game ended. The kids gave each other, their competitors, ways, honoring their competition competitors for great plays and sportsmanship. That, that didn't, that didn't seem possible. I saw a s- transformational change happening. Dr. Riegel was there again. I said to him, what happened? His response was really clear and concise. He said, the kids have gone from a culture of macho who can push and shove the hardest, be the toughest and rule the, the roost respect. They're beginning to respect each other. And they've gone from a sense of hopelessness to hope. Wow, that was powerful. A few weeks later I attended another game. There was a kid called Benny there. Benny was quite, he had quite a reputation. He'd quit the team in a fit of anger by stomping on his jersey and yelling a bunch of expletives at his coach, site coach. And the coach didn't give up on Benny. And he went to the guidance counselor and he said, you know, what are Benny's issues? And she said, he's got some big stuff going on at home. His whole life's coming apart. Well, the site coach invited Benny back onto the team. And Benny wanted to play, because he's a pretty good soccer player, and agreed to do wind sprints to earn his way back on the team. The coach said that the price for Benny's behavior, bad behavior, had to be paid. And if Benny couldn't run, wouldn't run. Uh, Actually, Benny said, I'll run. And then he came back and he said, I'm not going to do the wind sprints. Well, the coach said, the price has to be paid. So I'll run the wind sprints for you, Benny. Well, that's kind of a really quick story similar to what Jesus did for us, isn't it? So the coach ran the wind sprints. Benny came back to the team, received the social and emotional support he needed become a model team member, uh, it was really cool. I attended the game later in the year and asked to meet Benny. I walk up to him, I'm astonished. What a well-behaved little boy. Uh, How could he be this little demon? How could he have been that? Well we get stories like Benny virtually every day um, at Jubilee Reach. Through the grace of God through Jesus working, the love of Jesus working through the site coaches and the volunteers, some of which I'm sure are here, who are pouring into the kids and the schools. The district, school district, calls it solving the social and emotional needs of the kids. That's what we do. It's now one of the three key strategies of the Bellevue School District, in addition to um, two academic strategies. And it makes sense that the kid comes, if a, if a kid comes to school burdened with family issues, worries about not fitting in socially, which is a big issue because there are, there are like 89 different primary languages spoken in the Bellevue school, middle schools, that kid is not going to be able to concentrate on learning. In the past few months, Jubilee Reach has been, uh, the program has been expanded to Actually, two more elementary schools will be expanded soon to Sammamish High School and eventually to all 18 schools in the district. We are a strategic partner, um, completely a part of the school district. Here we are, a faith-based organization in a secular school district um, working hand-in-hand. I'm gonna tell you more about that in a minute. The psych coaches and the volunteers listen intently to the kids. They focus on the 8% of the kids who cause about 99% of the problems. Uh, 8% of the uh, head count in the uh, the kids in the uh, middle schools is about 350 kids. And there's an author named Kenneth Blue, and he wrote in his book, Authority to Heal, intense listening is indistinguishable from love And love heals, and God is love. So that's the magic right there, as far as I'm concerned. So what's God doing here? We're in a secular environment. We're not allowed to preach the gospel with words. Um, But we're encouraged to love the kids, and we're affirmed. The school system and old middle school are multicultural and filled with an incredible cross-section of the diversity of the world, almost. 89 languages are spoken in the system, and about 80 um, at Otoll. In the Bellevue schools, minorities are the majority. 54% of the population of the schools are minorities. The school system is 29 years ahead of the demographics of the United States. Our site coaches and volunteers love the kids by intensely listening to them, learning their fears, learning their concerns. They'd have been available when I was afraid to go to Jubilee Reach, maybe one of them would have helped me. And their social problems, and they step in the gap to help the kids, and sometimes they help the families with a hand up, and that's what Kurt was asking you to do. The kids are integrated into a multicultural community. Integrated is an important word here. They're not assimilated. They're still allowed to have their Identity as a human being whatever color or whatever they are The relationships give the kids this community and equity stake in the community So they care about the community and they're able to learn and become more confident and Are getting prepared to live positive and productive lives? The results are truly amazing Holistic life Changes are happening kids go from gang leaders to bold leaders In one year, detentions decreased from 1749 to the next year. 340 what they called rethinking letters. So you've taken the the number of behavioral cases down incredibly uh, to incredibly low. This is at Highland. Vandalism and gang behavior have been virtually eliminated. The school is no longer tagged. It has nothing written on the walls. (coughs) And kids 98% 98% of the kids that we've surveyed report making more friends, getting better grades, and having improved family relationships. Now, I am a technical idiot. Where are you, Adam? Which button do I press on this thing? Pardon me? The arrow. Okay, I think this is the arrow. Adam, you, oh, this thing builds? I didn't even know that. There we go. Okay. What we're looking at here is Highland Middle School, the progress it's made over four or five years in standard test scores on language, English language. Okay? There's some astounding things going on here. Jubilee Reach didn't invent this uh, bar graph. Anissa Berriano, the principal of Highland Middle School, invented it. So you see all kids, you see an 18 percentage point increase from 72 to 90% past meeting or exceeding standard. The Asian kids, you see a 76% to 90%, which is a 14 percentage point increase. Now here's the one that's just knock your socks off. The Latino kids who used to be among the worst, have gone from 53% to 93% or 40 percentage points better. And you'll notice that is the top of the bar. They've gone from the worst to the valedictorians in language. The white kids have gone from 80 to 89 percent, nine percentage point increase. Free and reduced lunch, these are the poor, okay? From 53 percent to 84 percent. Once again, a huge increase of 31 percentage points. Special Ed kids, these are the learning disabled kids, or not disabled, but learning challenge kids. They've gone from 18% to 69% on the same score, test score, incredible. Lastly you have the English as a learning language kids, these are the kids who came into the school knowing no English at all, Um, they've gone from 17% to 44%. So. As Anissa Bariano said um, at the recent Festival of the Trees event we gave, um, this stuff gets results. <laughs> this stuff gets results. Okay, uh, when my, uh, my secular humanist uh, and atheist friends ask me, how can your Christian God permit all this suffering and justice in this world? Um, Why does he do something about it? I said, uh, he does. Um, He made us. He works for us to change the world for the better. Uh, I believe that a loving God and our neighbor, uh, if we love our neighbor without any motive but love, is the answer to a well-lived and joyful life and beyond that, um, all the problems of this broken world. So you two can help our broken community by volunteering to mentor a kid at Ola, which is obviously right across the street. Uh, Your loving a child's life can transform a, ch- a child. And um, let me read. And you can change their life forever. I'm going to read a letter, part of a letter from an Eric McDowell, the principal of Ola Middle School and what he says about the tremendous impact Jubilee Reach is having at the school. I'm not gonna read the whole letter because it's, it's pretty long. He says, Dear Brent and Jubilee Reach Board, we had a meeting over there at Odo last fall. It's a long overdue letter and I apologize for its tardiness. Um, I wanna tell you about the power and impact of Jubilee Reach at Odo Middle School. In a few words, I can't imagine Odo without Jubilee Reach and let me explain why. First and foremost, I have to write about the Jubilee Reach staff at Odal, led by the incomparable Carlos Wilcutts, who has got two assistants. We have a team that is truly making a difference for the kids. Specifically, Carlos is literally a godsend. He shows that he cares about kids every, with every single step he takes. His leadership, his partnership, his collaboration, his cooperation are resulting every day and better results for the kids who truly need an advocate and a mentor. He is simultaneously tough and loving, mutually strict and caring. Kids flock to him and the team, and I seek him out regularly for help. Carlos is exactly, perfectly, the right person for the job, and I say to you honestly and sincerely, it is my great honor to work along with him. Carlos was that, guy who was beaten up by the gang in Sacramento. Second, I want to write to you about the services you provide for the kids. Club Jubilee and Jubilee sports are incredibly important in the lives of our kids. They provide the venue in which deep relationships can be formed. And for so many of our kids, this is the key, the linchpin to success because they don't have deep and loving relationships at home with, or adult mentors anywhere else in their lives. Because of our club and sports, I see kids seeking out team for guidance on a regular basis. I cannot count how many times I've seen kids who need a caring adult in their lives meeting with Jubilee Reach mentors. While you may not, while we may not see an immediate impact because many of these kids have issues that will take years to get through, I do know that without Jubilee Reach, these kids, our kids, my kids, would be far worse off. Now, I can't simply thank you enough, um, and then he closes. Now, Eric wasn't a believer. I don't think he still is a believer, but in being totally transparent with you, the first couple of years that we tried to approach Odal, he didn't want any part of the program. So, I thank you and bless you Lake Sam folks for the love you've showered on the kids at Odal and at Stevenson. Um, and if you haven't been part of the seismic Jesus program, Jesus movement here, which is transforming, transforming a generation of kids. You want to get, just take one step and see if it's your call. Um, Kurt told you how to do that. Um, so let's get to the football game today. It's a big deal, right? I see everybody's dressed up in football. I even got my, my socks on that are. And I have, uh, I have another thing here. I have a, a car deodorizer. Uh, <laughs> gift from my atheist, uh, secular humanist friend for Christmas. Pretty generous guy, isn't he? I'm gonna conclude with some of the reasons why we will win our playoff game today against Green Bay and become the national conference champions and go to the Super Bowl this year. We're playing at home. It's a big advantage. We have the 12th man, and the decibel levels will be off the charts, and the seismic impact will be felt in Green Bay. Our defense is the Legion of Boom, and they'll lower the boom on everybody. I wouldn't want to play those guys. Our defensive line shuts down the run. Our offense, led by the incredible leader and believer, Russell Wilson, who's wise beyond his years, makes big plays. Marshawn Lynch will be in Super Beast mode and high on Skittles. <laughs> We're a second half team that makes great, great adjustments at halftime. Do you know that Pete and Russell Wilson pray together, the coach? and the That's pretty amazing. There's something going on with this team that's even bigger. They speak the truth in love to each other and love unites them like no sports team I have ever seen and I am really old as Eric uh, sorry uh, the reason this is they find a way to win they're a little too suspenseful for me though sometimes although that Super Bowl was something uh, they have a deep respect for each other they put it all out on the table they work through huge challenges and they do it in a very selfless way Uh, They love each other and love changes everything, even 300 pound linemen who play uh, one of the most physical sports ever invented uh, by man. So I'm gonna close us in prayer. Uh, Father God, we pray that you continue to bless what you're doing here in Bellevue and on the east side, um, and that you equip us to show the love of the real Jesus in this community through Jubilee Reach and through all the other social agencies and churches and faith-based organizations. Lord, Lord God, um, we, we pray that this game be played really well with great sportsmanship. We pray that this game would be played really well and that there would be no major injuries by anybody. We, play, we pray that Aaron Rodgers not get taken out of the game with his uh, injury But Lord, we do pray that the Seahawks win. We would really, really like the Seahawks to win. And Lord, we believe that it's possible that it may be for your glory because so many of them seem to be believers. So many of them seem to be um, showing the love of Jesus to our community and the special things that they do for some of the nonprofits they visit continually. So thank you, Lord. Um, And thank you for this opportunity to speak your message to these great folks.